This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is U.S. Senate Minority Whip Dick Durbin of Illinois. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the crop insurance industry. NCIS provides the primary safety net for millions of acres of cropland and hundreds of commodities across the U.S., enabling farmers to supply our country with food and fiber year after year. More with Senate Minority Whip Dick Durbin when Open Mic continues after this. America's farmers and ranchers are relying on crop insurance more now than ever before to provide individualized protection and to secure operating loans. Protecting more than 290 million acres of farmland and more than 130 commodities across the U.S., crop insurance is the primary safety net for many farmers, enabling them to supply our country with food and fiber year after year. Crop insurance, providing peace of mind now and for the next generation of agriculture. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. This week, our guest is U.S. Senate Minority Whip Dick Durbin. The Illinois Democrat sees some promising developments in the first quarter of the 114th Congress. I happen to support this notion of more floor deliberation, more floor uh, debate. Uh, I think that is part of the history of the Senate. It's one of the strengths of the Senate. And we were just mired down for the last several years in filibusters, one after the other after the other. It really uh, diminished the Senate. So there is a, I think there's a healthy bipartisan attitude toward more floor debate. And what it leads to is more compromise and more achievement. We're off to a slow start for a lot of reasons I won't get into here. But there have been a couple things that have happened in the last couple weeks that give me hope. Lately, the president has talked a lot about the request to repeal the estate tax. There's been action in the House, but for the Senate, do you see attention to that matter? And what of the extenders or what of complete tax reform? Is this the year? We made a major change in the estate tax, and I'm sure most of the people listening know it, uh, in terms of the exemption and in terms of cost of living adjustments. Uh, I thought it was a reform long overdue, and I supported it. But this notion of eliminating the tax, let me tell you, when you look at this tax code, here is the bottom line. We are finding that people of limited means are paying a higher percentage of their income than many of the people at the highest income categories. The estate tax is a tax break for the top 1% or 2%, or maybe less, of America. And from where I'm sitting, at a time when people are decrying deficits and worried about income inequality, I cannot understand the political force behind this. I was for reform, but I think repeal goes way too far. Some of the agriculture groups will point to the appreciation in land values that they had no means to, the appreciation in machinery costs and the rest of doing business, the economics of scale of being forced to get bigger to survive, as reasons that it should be eliminated. But are there other concessions that could be made so that farms that have survived aren't taxed to the point that they can't survive. I know that many major farmers in Illinois need to sit down with the state planners and their lawyers and their bookkeepers to make sure that uh, they're doing the right thing for their families. Uh, And many of them do, and um, most of them apparently have done it successfully. I once contacted the major farm organizations in Illinois because they kept hearing over and over again about uh, people that were losing their farms to this uh, taxation. I said, "Give give me some examples. I want to meet some people and families that have been through this. And they all kept saying, we'll get back to you later, get back to you later. They never did. I don't doubt that it is a burden and a challenge. It is. Because some of these farms, uh, which started off at 
two or three thousand dollars an acre are now worth dramatically larger amounts. There's no question about it. Now there is a stepped up basis involved in most of these. So I mean, it isn't as if the tax code doesn't have some approaches that can be used to alleviate estate tax responsibility. But I, I will tell you that uh, I think that we ought to work to make sure that it is a reasonable approach. I have always said that my first priority is keeping the farm of the family when it becomes a major corporation that isn't a family operation anymore. I look at it a lot differently, uh, but I'd like to really focus on those family farms and not focus on tax relief for the highest, wealthiest, highest income, wealthiest individuals in America. With regard to complete tax reform or even a tax extenders package, is that on the radar in this 114th? We always do the extender. We wait until the very last minute and sometimes go into overtime. The extenders should be extended, and I voted for them every year. I'm sorry that we go through this exercise. But keep in mind, these are all temporary tax changes that need to be extended on an annual basis. Someone has suggested, and I happen to believe they're right, we ought to make this permanent tax change and stop playing this terrible game uh, with the uncertainty of what's going to happen in the future. We have a lot of wind turbines in Illinois. For a long time, there's been questions about that tax credit. Uh, there are a lot of my farm friends who are doing quite well because of those wind turbines. The uncertainty about the tax uh, being extended uh, has led to a, a kind of a slowdown in the development of wind power. I'm for it. I want to see us do something on a permanent basis. Now, the first question you ask is the right question. Are we going to have tax reform? The stars have to line up in an amazing way to have real tax reform in Congress. The last time we did it, I think, was shoot 30 years ago. So it doesn't come around very often. Uh, and so it will take the president sitting down with Republican leaders and Democrats in Congress to come up with a tax reform. That is no mean feat uh, in the political climate we're living in. Sometime before the end of this fiscal year, an appropriation bill will have to be approved for the Department of Agriculture. And some of the industry have thought that might be the place that there would be challenges for farm programs just approved in the new farm bill or challenges to crop insurance. I would ask, Senator, do you see a reason for a means test for crop insurance, or do you see a tax coming to this particular program? Keep in mind that crop insurance, because it's a federal insurance program, is not like ordinary insurance policies that we have in our homes and our cars. Crop insurance is dramatically subsidized. Over 60% of the actual cost, the payout in the crop insurance programs comes right out of the treasury from the taxpayers. That's a huge subsidy for crop insurance. And what I have said is that if you have a profitable uh, farm operation making close to a million dollars a year or more, that your subsidy may not be 60%, it may be 52 percent. It passed the Senate. It wasn't included in the Farm Bill. I didn't insist on it. I thought it was the right policy. But I still think that we ought to have a reasonable measure against those farm operations that are clearly profitable, that they would not receive the same level of subsidy. Having said that, for all other farm operations, I think the crop insurance program is the bottom line. It really is the best guarantee that farmers are protected in bad years. I will continue to support it. I do believe that means testing at the highest incomes on farms, uh, as I've uh, not only sponsored but voted for in the past, is not unreasonable. Chairman Conaway in the House is holding committee hearings on the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, a review from top to bottom. Do you support the review, and do you have concerns about what they might find or what might come from the, from the information gathering process there? 
I always support review. We don't want to waste a single taxpayer's dollar, and we don't want fraud in any program. We want good management, and that's Congress' responsibility to oversee these programs. So I certainly support the review. But here's what we're running into. Because the incomes of families are not keeping up with the expenses of living in America, many of them are qualifying for what we used to know as food stamps, now called the SNAP program. And it turns out that that is an income supplement to many low-income families. Remember, we have increased the minimum wage. We get folks that are really trying to get by and even raise children with pretty limited means. So it strikes me that we can look at this program, be fair about it, but not be insensitive to the fact that a lot of families are struggling in today's economy. A broad question and just one from philosophy. Should the size of a family farm or a family farm corporation dictate how federal policy treats them? Well, it is, you know, when we, we make the pleas for farm bills and farm programs, nine times out of ten, it is in, uh, in the form of saving the family farm. And we know, all of us know, that farms are changing, and they have to. The, the small farm of a hundred years ago just couldn't make it today. And it takes more ground, more effort, more capital investment, more risk, if you will, uh, to make a good farm operation. I'm not against larger farms. But I do, as I mentioned before in crop insurance, I do believe that we've got to be honest about it. Uh, Some of these have reached a corporate status that is way beyond the average family farm, way beyond the average farm. And these uh, should be viewed in a different context, as I mentioned on crop insurance. But when it comes to uh, the overall farm programs, our ultimate goal is food and fiber to feed our nation and the world. And we want to continue to have the best in the world. And sometimes the larger operations are the best. Some of the positive news from the agriculture industry lately is that it appears the EPA will develop a schedule for announcing the volume standards for renewable fuels. I would go to a broader question that there are several who would like to reform or eliminate this RFS. Is it still good policy, and what do you see on the frontier, A, from the EPA's announcement, and B, from any pending congressional action? Listen, I've, I've supported renewable fuels uh, for over 30 years. Uh, back in the day when we were captives of OPEC and the uh, oil sultans, uh, at least we had this homegrown source of, of fuel. And it, it was a good program because of its success and the fact that so much corn, for example, was used as feedstock. Uh, it meant more demand for corn, higher corn prices, and lower federal subsidies. So I, I saw it as a winner, not to mention the job that the industry creates. Uh, and then a couple of years ago, almost three now, uh, some uncertainty came into this when the RFS program was up for its annual required review by the EPA. Well, Gina McCarthy was the new still is, but was then the new head administrator, and we called her in, a group of senators, Democrats and Republicans. I think she was surprised. We have 35 senators, if I remember correctly, in this room saying to her, this is an important program. Her eyes widened as she looked around the room at uh, Democrats, Republicans from all over the Midwest primarily, uh, supporting uh, the continuation of this program, and I do too. 
Uh, I am. I cannot explain why it has taken so long to announce what this is going to be. I do hope that it, uh, the administration's request includes growth in the industry because I think there is need for it. Uh, I happen to believe alcohol fuels are good for the economy, good for farmers, and good for the environment. So from my point of view, it's a winner. In the House subcommittee last week approving they call the Regulatory Integrity Protection Act. 36 to 22 was the vote in subcommittee. Some of the Democratic members of that committee said it was too soon to stop the EPA and the Corps from implementing the new definition of waters of the U.S. Do you see action in the Senate on this measure, and where do you stand on that issue? Well, here's what it comes down to. It's interesting. I don't have a major farm group that comes in to see me, certainly not the Farm Bureau, that I, I don't have, I can guarantee how the program will start. First, they're courteous. They say, thank you. Thanks for all you've done. And I say, well, you're welcome. The second thing they say is, what are you going to do about the EPA, Senator? <laughs> I mean, it is always the EPA. Uh, I, I think they'd start with the Department of Agriculture, but it's always the EPA. So the latest, and one that has been recurring, is this whole question of protecting waters as they stand in America and defining them from navigable waters to others. And that has been in limbo and in process for a long, long time. So I say to farmers, what's your problem? They say, a heavy rain and a puddle in the middle of the field. And the next thing you know, the EPA is knocking on the door. And I said, okay, legitimate. I mean, I've seen plenty of that. We have our droughts. We have our flooding. And then I ask him a couple questions. First, do you know any farmer in Illinois who has been visited by the EPA over standing water? Well, I think we heard about a guy in southern Illinois. I have to get back to you on that. It turns out that it is concern, but it isn't like there's harassment going on. Now, when you go to the EPA, I call them next and say, what are you doing to my farmers when there's a heavy rain? And they say, oh, no, no, we're going to write this so that your farmers don't have to worry. Well, that's where this has been sitting for almost two years, and I'm waiting for something clear to come out. I think it's up to the EPA to come out with a standard. If they're going to stand by what they've told me, it's going to put to rest a lot of the concerns of these farmers. I want the farmers to be sensitive to the fact, and they are, as stewards of the land, that we've got to make sure that farming practices and farm policy out of Washington are consistent with maintaining this uh, great earth that the good Lord's given us. Let's move to trade. With regard to Trade Promotion Authority for the Obama administration, do you see a deal between the two parties, and do you see a vote anytime soon on giving this president and perhaps the next the opportunity to negotiate on behalf of the country? That's going to be tough. Tough. I talked to a Democratic congresswoman last night, and she said, you wouldn't be, you'd be surprised how many Republicans, conservative Republicans, are against trade promotion authority. Here's what it says. Trade promotion authority says, Congress, you get an up or down vote, yes or no. You can't pick out any provision and change it. You just get to take a look, take your vote, and you're finished. For members of Congress, that is a bitter pill to swallow, particularly if you have a state that has a bad impact in this trade agreement. You may like the rest of it, but, you know, maybe it doesn't treat soybeans right. I'm just you know, speculating here. I don't know. Nobody's had a close look at it here. But the point I'm getting to is this turns out to be a real test between the two branches of government. Trade Promotion Authority, the president will insist if we left the Congress and all its amendments, God knows when it ever finish. But the bottom line is if there's 
just an up or down yes or no vote. Many members of Congress, myself included, feel that that really is not a fair process. Trade promotion authority is said to be needed in short order in order to advance trade agreements like the Trans-Pacific Partnership. What's at stake here? Here's the thing that troubles me the most. I have people over a year ago who were out protesting and picketing me in Chicago, and they were carrying signs saying, Durbin, vote against the TPP. I walked out to the protesters and I said, well, which part of that TPP do you object to? And they said, oh, we've never seen it. I said, neither have I. It's never been released. We don't have it. So the people who are now supporting it and criticizing it are doing it in theory. Uh, At this point, it is a secret document, limited access even for members of Congress. Let's put this thing on the table. I want to make sure at the end of the day that it's fair to farmers, it's fair to manufacturers, and it's fair to workers in America. That's the first step. The second step is... We've got to make sure at the end of the day that we have a way to fight unfair trade practices. It's happened. It's happened in the past. And I voted for trade agreements, and it turns out by the time you resolve the trade dispute, the American company is out of business. So we've got to have something that's timely and fair. Is it time to eliminate the embargo with Cuba and trade more freely? Absolutely. This is long overdue. It goes back to when I was a kid and Eisenhower was a president, and we came up with a policy to come down hard on the uh, Fidel Castro and his, his gang of uh, would-be Marxists. And what has happened? Fifty years later, Fidel's still around, and the policy uh, is resulting in some terrible, crazy things. When I visited Cuba a few months ago, and they said, incidentally, do you know where we get our milk in Cuba? I said, no. They said, well, we get dried milk, powdered milk from New Zealand. I said, New Zealand? It's halfway around the world. I said, that's right. That's what the trade embargo does to us. Makes no sense. My theory is open up trade with Cuba. It's going to do two things. It's going to help us because we get a lot of good things to export and they need them. And secondly, that trade is going to open up a conversation with Cuba long overdue that I think will move them away from the excesses of Castro into a much more positive, uh, Democrat-valued nation. It was not long ago that there was a GMO labeling bill that was proposed in the Senate, and now there is one in the House, uh, obviously coming with a national standard as opposed to states all across the country coming up with their own set of standards regarding labeling of foods that might contain a genetically enhanced ingredient. What are your thoughts on a GMO labeling bill? There are two different approaches, and they're much different. One mandated a label, and the other one said it's voluntary and permissive. The voluntary permissive, as I understand it, has uh, passed out of the house. It's up to the manufacturer of the product, the producer of the product, uh, to label it. And they say to the USDA, set up a standard for what's GMO and what isn't. Now, here's where I, I'll just lay it on the line to you. I have said, and I've got a lot of people who said, goodness, Senator, at least if we want to know about GMO, we ought to be able to know. And I said, give me some scientific evidence of any danger associated with GMO products for the consumers. And I'll be honest with you, they haven't produced it. Now, they talk about it an awful lot. If I'm going to demand science when it comes to climate change and stand by 98% of the scientists who say human activity is creating changes in our on our earth that could be a danger to the future, that I'm going to stand by science when it comes to GMO too. If they can come up with scientific evidence of a concern, that's the only way I'd consider a mandate. If there's going to be a permissive label, I'll look at it. I understand 
uh, a lot of the opponents of the mandated label are at least considering a voluntary label as long as there's a reasonable standard. Quickly, as we work to close, do you see immigration reform seeing any attention in this 114th? No. And unfortunate. It's really unfortunate. I mean, start with ag workers, and we need them all across the United States, including the state of Illinois, and go right down to the bottom line. We have a broken immigration system with 11 million undocumented people. The president said they ought to come forward, register, be submitted to a background check on criminal background, deported if they've got a problem, pay their taxes, and get a temporary work permit. That, to me, is more sensible than what we currently have, but there's a lot of objection on the other side. It is such a hot political issue on the Republican side, I doubt that we'll get anything constructive done on the issue of immigration. Senator, the program is called Open Mic, and the audience is here. Well, let me just tell you, Illinois is blessed to be an agricultural state. Uh, Many of the people who live in the big city of Chicago I never get downstate to see what we have to offer. It's an amazing array of talent and production, which feeds not only our state and nation, but the world. Uh, and the good news is we're into research, good, solid research, uh, to find ways to produce crops and, and to raise uh, the meat and poultry uh, that we need in, in better ways, better for consumers, better for the environment. It's a great investment that's paid off over and over and over again. I'm proud to say that it's started a long, long time ago with the Homestead Act under a president from Illinois named Abraham Lincoln. I'm proud to say as well the land-grant colleges started under that same president uh, for the basic agricultural research, and we've got to continue that tradition. Our generation has responsibility to future generations to leave uh, great agriculture behind and a better earth to live on. Our thanks to Senate Minority Whip, Illinois Senator Dick Durbin, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the crop insurance industry. NCIS provides the primary safety net for millions of acres of cropland and hundreds of commodities across the U.S., enabling farmers to supply our country with food and fiber year after year. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.